Hello everyone, this is Thomas Culleton bringing you another episode of Making It Happen, where I speak with Genius New York's latest cohort of startups. Genius New York is a $3 million business accelerator competition in central New York focused on unmanned systems, IoT, robotics, and big data startups. In this episode, I got to sit down with Josh Reedy, founder and CEO of Airtonomy. Airtonomy seeks to create new tools for energy workers through streamlined data collection and compilation. For this, Airtonomy brought home the grand prize of $1 million from the Genius New York Startup Accelerator Program. An achievement like that certainly puts some energy in their company. I'm excited to talk to Josh, so let's dig into the details, and I hope you enjoy the show. All right, so let's start with talking about yourself, your background, and how you got into this company. Absolutely. Um, background, born and raised in the Dakotas. Um, I had a grandfather that, stout, that uh, formed or founded an electrical cooperative, meaning he brought power to the people of the community we lived in. Being at his side as a young child and watching that gave me an affinity for utilities. And in 2022, one could argue outside of food that energy is every bit as vital as anything else in our modern world. If you combine that with uh, elements that North Dakota has prominence in, with the, which is energy, um, as well as agriculture and aviation, um, myself and my two co-founders, uh, Dr. James Higgins and Dr. Travis DeSell, started a company uh, that was focused on bringing data from robots, uh, starting with drones, uh, into consumers' hands in the least or the the least um, cumbersome, most efficient manner possible. So. You mentioned you and the two co-founders mm-hmm. of your company. How did that all come about? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, my co-founders, one has a background in aviation. He's the former chair of aviation at the University of North Dakota, which has the largest aviation program in the world. Uh, the second is a computer scientist that um, started the Masters of Data Science at RIT and is a tenured faculty member at RIT. Uh, my background was technology, having been the CIO at the University of North Dakota and the university system, uh, also uh, that including research computing. So the three of us fit together really well, a technologist, a computer scientist, and an aviator. Um, we actually did work with FedEx prior to founding Airtonomy. Um, we worked with their Memphis hub and uh, their intuitive parking system. And that is something that, that we learned a lot in doing together and thought, hey, you know, this is, this is uh, a unique mixture of talents and a great mixture of personality. So we tended to then uh, pivot from that and apply our skills to another problem we've seen. And we actually received funding from the National Science Foundation for, which was titled the UAS Data Lifecycle. Again, getting data off of robots or drones into consumers' hands as efficiently as possible in the process using uh, AI or machine learning or neural networks. Okay. And what would what would the consumers be using this data that they're getting for? Absolutely. You know, we like to think of it as when you think of a frontline worker, and when I say a frontline worker, a wind technician, a, uh, a lineman, um, someone that is keeping your lights on and keeping your house warm, um, they really don't discern uh, how a solution is created. If it's a drone, if it's a robot, if it's using AI, the software, what they care about is does it work? 
And if you think of the frontline workers one end of the spectrum, they're there to do their job well and as timely as possible. We want to first outfit them with the ability to do so. But then if you think of who is the consumer of that data, that's generally going to be your management, your engineers, your decision makers. And they are not as concerned about how the data is collected. They want to make sure the results are accurate. So if you combined resiliency on the front end with accuracy on the back end, those are the types of solutions we strive to create because, again, with the utility and the energy industry, people depend on those companies for uh, vital power. And whatever we build has to be resilient, accurate, and work 100 out of 100 times. And from what I've heard, it has been working very well. Yes. Uh, We were able last summer to go to scale with wind technicians. Wind technicians is a profession that is the second fastest growing in the U.S. now and projected to be for the next 10 years. They're generally very hardworking, blue-collar individuals that have one year of uh, post-high school education. But uh, robots and drones are not something they're trained to use. Um, But they are trained and skilled at using a variety of tools. Uh, I like to think of it as we provide them just another tool, but a 21st century tool that allows them to do their job not only more effectively, but in the case of wind technicians in particular, versus repelling from wind turbines that are at 80 meters high, um, there's a safety factor involved and a convenience factor, and we take a great deal in provide, or of pride in providing the safest tooling possible. Oh, absolutely. If a tool like that even saves one person from getting injured on the job, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. So how did you guys, how did the three of you come up with the name for your company? Sure. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I give credit to many, uh, including uh, a woman by the name of Beth Davis that has helped us from the beginning. Uh, one of our employees, uh, Allison, um, we uh, really thought of the word autonomy And at the time, we were working only in drones, not in other robots. So I guess in in hindsight, air is is probably not um, encompassing enough. But we replaced the word autonomy with airtonomy and wanting it to be about the flexibility of having um, not just uh, autonomous systems, but an independence from any one given hardware provider. We're very much um, of the belief that the customer and the solution should choose the hardware, including the robot and the sensor. And we put a great deal of of time and effort into that happening. If you see our logo, it's actually a a button to push. And if you saw our Genius New York pitch, we use the red easy buttons uh, that you saw from from television commercials because we showed the notion of a a 70-year-old woman um, who has no professional drone background uh, operating it, a senior United States senator and the CEO of an energy company, all operating it along with a wind technician. Uh, you meant you actually mentioned uh, robots other than like the drones that we would think of. Yes. What what other kinds of are you working on, or is that something you can talk about? Yeah, time? absolutely. You know, if you think of aerial, and then you think of terrestrial, and then you think of aquatic, uh, there are needs for all three. Uh, we have not yet progressed to aquatic, um, although. The software stack that we've developed um, will work for either. And if you think about it, they, you know, air, land, and sea all come with their own complexities. But with land, you have a uh, robot that can generally function much longer than a drone, can carry more payload than a drone, and is moving at rates of speed that are much less than a drone. So um, we started with our solution working in wind turbines with drones because it was probably 
if not definitely, the most difficult scenario we could think of. And if our technology can be applied to that with an everyday person operating it, then we figured it could apply to anything. And as a matter of fact, we've proven it true that if customers can give us a set of rules, um, we can enforce those rules uh, with robotics and with artificial intelligence to be something that anyone can operate. Okay. And I'd definitely like to get back to in a little bit how – like some of the robots you have and some of those specifics that you were just talking about. But first let's talk about how you got here. How did you guys get started at the tech garden? Yeah. Um, we found out about Genius New York from a gentleman that is in the Buffalo area uh, who once worked with me, Craig Garris Johnson. Give him a shout out. Um, he is a kind of a business developer, if you will. I forget his actual title in the area. And he came back in a very friendly message and said, you know, Hi, Dr. Eddie. I hope you remember me. You treated me really well early in my career, and there's an opportunity I thought would be great for you and your startup. Um, it is literally humble origins in that regard. Um, we spoke with Genius New York, and we were able to apply. And lo and behold, we made it to the top 13 and then the top five. And out of this amazing cohort, uh, we were able to win the grand prize and very thankful for it. Well, that's amazing, and that definitely has to accelerate your business just that much farther. Yes. It, it has been a game changer in terms of um, people notice uh, New York and the Genius New York um, program. It, it's really noticed. And that visibility has been uh, wonderful for us, uh, for our ability to recruit and hire, as well as for our ability to raise funds. So um, huge shout out to Genius New York, Kara, Jeff, others. It, it is an amazing program. And I know they're they're working hard for the next five years to be even more amazing. It's good, and hopefully we'll be able to keep seeing how both you and the Genius New York program progress. But now, with being in Central New York, what are what are some of the strengths about being in this area specifically? So, first off, um, my co-founder, Dr. Travis DeSell, uh, lives about thirty-five miles away, and so this was in many ways his backyard already. Um, so. It was familiar already. Um, it was not familiar, as familiar to uh, those of us in North Dakota. I'd never been to Central New York before. But what I can tell you, having spent a great deal of time here, um, if you think of Thales, I never say their name correctly, but they have a presence in the Syracuse area and in Grand Forks, North Dakota, as we do. Uh, you've seen Aerial Robotics and True Weather do the same thing. I think there's a reason for that. I don't think it's just happen chance, and it's that from day one, Myself and everyone from my team who's been here have been comfortable. The ecosystem, whether it be the community, the weather, the new air, um, all very familiar to us from North Dakota. And we didn't miss a beat. I don't think that would be the same if uh, Airtonomy were going to the city or if we were going to the West Coast. But here, very much at home. And I think that has helped us tremendously that there are notable differences, including the workforce, uh, including being closer to, you know, uh, metropolitan areas and investment. But there's a ton of synergy that it didn't feel like we were missing a beat here. And the people we've met, the connections we've made um, have been absolutely tremendous from Ken Stewart and New Air to uh, Marquardt. Um, great, great ecosystem, complementary ecosystem to where we're from. Do you have a life-changing solution or product that you're holding back on manufacturing? What is it holding you back? Is it the high risks or the extensive learning curves that can come from launching a startup? Well, 
What if you could go to production with those costly manufacturing lessons already behind you? Launch your solution or product with confidence by partnering with an experienced manufacturer in a state-of-the-art facility just outside of Syracuse, New York. When you're partnering with Marquardt, you're partnering with a team of highly experienced and passionate engineers, innovators, and business professionals who are ready to support you along the entire process. So what are you waiting for? Visit Marquardt's website at www.marquardt.com slash partners to start the conversation today. That's www.marquardt.com slash US slash partners. Now let's get back to the show. So you mentioned a lot of strengths for being in this area. Are there any weaknesses for being in the Syracuse area? You know, that's a great question. I would say that not weaknesses per se, but there is a very competitive job market nationwide. I, I don't think that's in, a surprise to anyone and not to this area. And so our greatest challenge has and continues to be recruiting the type of talent that we need. Um, I would say that similar to North Dakota and, and what, but not as pronounced, what you see here is that there is an amazing early stage pipeline for technical positions. I'm, I mean, positions, people that have a master's or a PhD and a technical background. Unlike anything I've ever seen, we were just at the RIT career fair and had over 150 applications, um, which was, it, it took our breath away. It was, it was astounding. But what you don't see are the mid and late stage career individuals. And I think that is representative of uh, a workforce that starts and they graduate and they matriculate to the, to where the jobs are, frankly. I don't think that's unique just to Syracuse, but in this job market, finding those mid and late stage employees is what we actively are, are looking to do. Um, although we're absolutely delighted with building out the, the beginning of that pipeline, um, some amazing people we've met and been able to employ. Yeah, RIT definitely knows how to put out some very skilled technical workers. Yes, yeah. yes. As an institution, I've been very impressed with RIT. Uh, that career fair, um, also allowing uh, my co-founder, Dr. Travis DeSalle, to stay in a faculty role, but to spend the majority of his time with their autonomy. Um, I think that is a, a very, you know, forward thinking approach on them to allow someone from academia to be successful outside of academia. To me, that only strengthens their visibility in their portfolio. So kudos to them. So with what we had mentioned earlier about some of the things that you've been currently doing uh is there any part of that you'd want to discuss mm -hmm. we are nearing completion of basically separating the underlying software of what we do um, to become um, in essence a, a repository for uh, the data unstructured data harvested by robots um, what we do a little bit differently than most is we build the workflows of harvesting based upon rules. So anyone that has an agricultural background will understand this. Those that don't, I apologize. But if you think of a, a combine, a harvester, um, if you know that it is a common machine, but what's called a header is what changes for the crop type. So when you're harvesting wheat, it's a different header than if you're harvesting corn, than if you're harvesting soybeans. What that means, though, is that if you think of our software as the combine, the trucks that are delivering the grain to an elevator, the elevator that may be milling or delivering it to a mill that then sells it to companies that put it in a variety of products, we think of ourselves as on one end, we're the harvester. 
The heads may change based upon the difference between a wind turbine and an oil tank in a solar panel, but it's still the same underlying uh, approach, which is our hardware and software. Um, if you think of then the platform that we're separating out, that is really the elevator. That's what receives the data. Um, and what we do in our secret sauce is that we have a patent pending on the way we structure and contextualize data that combines a number of elements and makes that data timeless. But what we really do that's different is we do all of this for the purpose of what we call machine perception, meaning we are harvesting this data and storing it for artificial intelligence predominantly, workflows that incorporate some degree of, of computer vision, machine learning. Um, and that takes a different approach than harvesting data for the purpose of human perception. The nice thing is most generally data harvested for machine perception is consumable by humans. But I think many companies have learned the hard way that data harvested for humans is not digestible by um, machine perception. The degree uh, or the rigor and the degree of uniformity isn't there. So it may sound nuanced, but when we harvest data, we can do it at scale by having frontline workers operate it. But also we can process it at scale in the back end because we're very much focused on machine learning doing that. So you really have robots talking to AI generating results for humans. It sounds like it's been doing very good if you know there's something for a patent. Absolutely. Um, and other than getting that patent secured, what's coming up next? What's what are you looking for one year, two years? Absolutely. We have had the good fortune literally since day one of having tremendous support. Um, entities like XL Energy, which is a large regional energy co uh, company in the Midwest, a company you've heard of called Microsoft, um, those are willing to be partners and help us in this journey. Um, we are using that, that same script right now where we have more and different partners, uh, ranging from those very small electrical cooperatives like my grandfather founded to the very largest independent power producers you can think of. And each of them, uh, we take a unique approach that we choose to partner with them and build something that we don't want any money from them. What we want is their business, but you have to earn the business. And so we are all about delivering or developing partnerships, delivering product and further fortifying our methodology and underlying software until we can show the industry that with our methodology and our software, like I said, if you can define a set of rules, you can easily build out any solution there is for harvesting data about any different asset type. That's now pivoting into the United States government as well. And so very focused on our methodology, but beginning to broaden how we apply that and where we apply that. Same principles, but if you can think of it, the military has different assets than an energy company, than a utility, than a um, manufacturer. So um, we're broadening our customer base. We're looking for those partners. Uh, 2022 is really a year of setting ourselves up to grow in 2023. I would imagine there'd be a lot of growth. There's You've got fingers in quite a lot of very large pies. Yes, it, it's exciting. And, and um, I don't know how to, I, I don't like to compare what we do to any other industry, but, but in most industries, if you think of personal computing, you think of mobile computing, um, there's an aggregation point. And what that means is there is a point that really everything flowed together, just stuck and made the ecosystem viable. 
I don't think the drone ecosystem, the robotics ecosystem is out of its infancy yet, far from it. But I do believe that the autonomy is going to be one of those aggregation points and is going to be the key for building an emerging market that doesn't truly exist in 2022. And that's what we're looking to do is set up that market, show autonomy as an aggregator, and show these companies how much value add there is by better enabling their frontline workforce. And as the regulatory environment changes, especially around drones and beyond visual line of sight, um, we are actually better suited because we would not only be integrated already, but our technology was built uh, for environments without humans. It's only optimized with humans. Mm-hmm. I mean, with something like that, you prepped for any situation and i can't see how you wouldn't be one of those key companies i would hope so um my co-founders and i um were privy to working with drone programs and drones well before the world knew what they were i believe the university of north dakota started their unmanned uh, aircraft systems in 2000 uh, degree program in 2008 uh so we've been Watching this unfold for a very long time to the point it became perhaps intuitive to us more so than the rest of the world. But that's what we're hoping to share. And if there are two places that know drones better than any, it would be North Dakota and New York. That's what I can say with absolute certainty. With you being in both, you're definitely going to be probably one of the top experts on it. If not now, then soon. Yes. Um, we feel really good about our position and we're kind of proud. Um, if you've seen some LinkedIn posts, we're proud that to claim, uh, North Dakota and New York, it's a pairing I wouldn't have guessed a year ago. Um, but I think it's a, it's absolutely amazing pairing others are taking advantage of. And frankly, together, uh, they're allowing companies like Airtonomy to change the world. Good, good. And you mentioned your LinkedIn posts. Uh, besides looking at your LinkedIn, is there any other way for company or for for people to see what's going on with your company? Yeah, you know, we always invite people to our website. I'm giving a full disclosure or disclaimer that we are totally revamping our our website. So I'm going to direct people away from website and social <laughs> media. You can always check out LinkedIn if you want to see a. a the musings of, of one individual. But um, we are going to be at AUVSI. Um, Genius New York has a booth there, absolutely amazing booth, the best that there is. So I invite people that have anything to do with AUVSI or drones to come there. Um, we are presenting at a panel presentation, and we're really debuting the underlying data concept that I spoke of. And then very fortunate um, that we're going to be able to sit on a panel uh, with Microsoft. Microsoft is sponsoring AUVSI the first time ever, and it's truly an honor to be um, in that panel discussion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. That's an amazing opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, it is. Now, one of the last things I think I have is, do you have any advice for anyone who's listening in, anyone who's interested in just learning about this, maybe getting in on this? Yeah. The best advice I can give, and I, and I have a, a higher ed background. I have uh, children that are, that are in middle school and high school. Um, the jobs that you may want to have – I don't think you can imagine yet. And that sounds a little facetious. My son is a freshman in high school, but I say it all the time. In eight years, uh, the world's going to change quite a bit. And I think even if you look at some of the unfortunate things happening in our world uh, with Russia and Ukraine, the nature of what warfare looks like is even changing. So it's my way of saying that understanding uh, what you're good at, the skills that you have, 
is as important as applying those. You know, learn how to work hard, learn how to be reliable, develop the skills and the aptitude that are natural to you, but don't worry as much about what job you apply them to. Because if you have a strong set of tools and skill set and work ethic, the world is yours to conquer. And, and I really mean that mixed with our earlier conversation about internships, gain experience. If nothing else to weed out what you want to do and not want to do, where you want to apply the, your passion and your skills, but gain that experience and carve out a niche for you. Because I can tell you, uh, people that have a technical engineering aptitude and have a strong work ethic that you get from places like Central New York and North Dakota will go far in this world. Oh, yeah. I mean, being on the tail end of the college experience, I know that what you want to do may change mm -hmm. in high school, in college. Yes. Um, you might find the thing that you thought you really wanted to do, you try it out and it ends up not being anything like what you thought it was. Yes. So. I grew up with, with people that worked with their hands, um, craftsmen and women, if you will. And what I'm seeing, and maybe this is only me, but is a modern day renaissance and revival of craftsmen, but digital craftsmen, digital craftswomen. That, that to me is astounding. But if you think about it, a lot of what's being done with technology and computer science it is both a science, but it is an art as well. And so I look forward to watching people really be able to apply all of their aptitudes, all of their skills, and view themselves, again, as craftspeople and artisans more than anything. Is there anything else that you'd like to include in this? You know, just a thanks to everyone. I, I can't say thank you enough to Genius, to Central New York, uh, to North Dakota. We have been helped by so many people. Um, I, I will make one thing clear. One thing that North Dakota and Central New York have in common is outside of programs like Genius New York or in North Dakota, what the Department of Commerce is really doing, it is hard to be a startup. As an example, we are looking to close our Series A round this quarter or quarter two. By doing so, we will become, to my knowledge, only the second North Dakota company to do that. I know there are more in Central New York. I don't know an exact number, but it's still few. So... Helping companies become true technology startups and not having those companies on a coast, really on the West Coast, I think benefits everyone. It, it's kind of a different type of startup, a different approach to being a startup. But I think the world has room for the companies like that, that dare I say are a little more blue collar than white collar, very much the way I see it, but very proud for being who we are. And I hope we continue to help others like Density blaze a trail uh, in central New York and companies like Bushel blaze a trail in North Dakota because there's a lot of great people. There's a lot of great ideas. And I think there's a lot of innovation to come. And I'd like to thank you for sitting down for this interview. Absolutely. My pleasure. And it was an enjoyable. Thank you thank very you. much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Making It Happen. And a big thanks to Josh for an electrifying discussion. You can learn more about Airtonomy by visiting www.airtonomy.com. If you liked what you heard, leave us a like, subscribe, or leave us a review. I'll see you soon. Now let's go make it happen.